Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Hey everyone, welcome along to the show. Today we get a chance to speak with Israel Cooper, who's the co-founder and managing director of HOME. So HOME is a company which is a bit different because they're actually a mission-driven development and construction company focused on housing and community projects. What really comes through in the interview with Israel is that they're focused on projects that have positive social and economic benefits. So it's about more than just making money. Here's an excerpt from my conversation with Israel. I think, again, I think that that identity piece is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, who you are, uh, you know, why you are here, why you are alive, needs to be something deeper and more than just what you do or what you achieve. Mm -hmm. You know, there's got to be something much more sort of intrinsic about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And arriving clearly at this is who I am and this is my purpose that is outside some external measure of performance or success or even what society says. Um, that has to be the real starting place. Because I don't, again, that, that going back to the analogy of the building, that is your foundation. That's your cornerstone. That's the thing you're building everything else from and everything else is going to be measured against that. I've known Israel for quite a while now and really admire what they're up to as a great example of a business which is focused not only on profits for sustainability, but also on people. Well, I know you're going to enjoy this interview because it's one of the best ones that I've done. And that's maybe saying a lot, given that this is the 112th one. But from my perspective, I'm really able to go out on a limb and say that, because I'm probably the only one who's listened to all 112 interviews, so I'm pretty confident about it. We're going to dive into it, but if you enjoy it, then you might want to check out some of the earlier episodes as well, because we're trying to build up a catalog of stories of people who are pushing boundaries in some way. There's also a Facebook page and a website at theseeds.nz. And that has a lot more information that you might find interesting. Now let's get into this conversation with Israel. All right. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Israel Cooper, who's the co-founder and managing director of Home. Thanks for joining me. Ah, oh, you're very welcome. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's really great to have you on. And I know you've listened to the episodes yes. in the past, haven't you? Which yeah. is actually a big relief for me because I don't <laughs> have to explain as much. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've I've enjoyed them. Um, they've uh, they've uh, allowed me to. Uh, chip away at the countless hours of travel I do across the country each week. Right, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so basically, for those who are listening the first time, I'll just explain that what yep. we're going to do is hear about your story, a yep. bit about your past and where you're from, yep. and then we're going to hear about what you're involved in now. And I'm really excited about this because um, I know you haven't called yourself a social enterprise in public, but I actually do look at your model and what you're doing mm-hmm. and you're a- achieving and think, what a great example <laughs> of a social mm. enterprise mm. that that mm. brings about actual change yeah. through business. Yeah. Um, but before we get into all that, yep. if we could just rewind right back to the beginning of your life and just start by telling us a little bit about where you're from. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I've I've had a um, a very interesting uh, journey uh, to where I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, I passed. Uh, uh, even though I'm only 37, um, <laughs> I feel like I've done uh, a couple of lives in that period of time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, certainly in the context of New Zealand, uh, you know, my past um, is is fairly well known. Um, there is a book out 
about a lot of my early childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that childhood was uh, in the context of growing up in what is now known as uh, the Gloravale community on, on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, at that stage, it was um, in Cust, uh, just outside of Rangiora, when I grew up in it. And so my, um, <clears throat> my grandfather, uh, who was known as uh, Neville Cooper then, now uh, hopeful Christian later, uh, was the founder uh, of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, my mother and father met inside the community um, and married, and uh, I was born. And so mm-hmm. for the first uh, eight years of my life, uh, I grew up inside um, the Gloravale Christian community mm-hmm. um, in Cust and didn't know a world outside uh, the the confines of that community. Mm-hmm. Um Simple things that we all take for granted, like um, how money works, for example. Um, I remember as an eight-year-old when my father took us out, um, getting my head around this concept of money and how it worked and, you know, what it could do and what it could achieve. Um, And so I think from that early stage, um, I always had a fascination with um, the power of money, both good and bad, Mm -hmm. um, and what it could be used for. Mm. Um, so yeah, as I said, I, I grew up in the community. Um, when I was eight, uh, my dad uh, actually decided that, you know, the, the, the most important thing uh, for any child to have is is the freedom to make their own choice and mm. determine their own life. And growing up inside that community, there just wasn't that option. Um, you know, your life path and choice was determined for you. Um, and your freedom uh, simply didn't exist, even your freedom to choose your own faith and your mm. own beliefs. Mm. Um, so he took us out when I was eight years old. Um, we then spent the next about five years, um, I guess you could say, uh, fleeing from the community. They were trying to trace trace him down and chase mm-hmm. us down and get us back. So we lived in the, the States uh, for about four years with um, what's known as the Bruderhof or the Hutterites. So a sort of an offshoot of the Mennonites, the Amish. So if you think of the um, horse and carts that, you know, in a lot of um, Hollywood films, the, the, the Bruderhof are similar to that. So we lived in upstate New York uh, in one of their communities for about four years. And for my dad, it was a, it was a sort of a transition place. We'd come from this very, very, very closed community. Mm. The Bruderhof were much more outward focusing. There was still a community. So it was still, you know, um, something that was familiar with us. Uh, and so we lived there um, for about four years. And then um, my, eventually my dad moved us back to Australia. So I think you said at the very beginning, you've lived several lifetimes, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's a lot that is there yeah, even yeah. Yeah. up until what age 13 we're at? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> can I, can right. I, yeah let's yeah. just unpack a little bit um, sure. just about the very, the very first part of your life. Like, yeah. uh, cause there's so many questions that I could ask, <laughs> but just yeah. um, thinking about, I guess your grandfather, mm-hmm. um, did you end up, yeah. How did it work once you were gone at mm-hmm. age eight, you mm-hmm. were gone gone or mm. was there ongoing yeah. contact or or um, um is sporadic mm-hmm. um so the community works by you have a clear choice you're either in or you're out and there's no or very little kind of uh cross between mm. um and so uh my dad did work very hard because um uh, my mother actually moved back into the community so mm. after uh, my dad took us all out together with my mum um, she decided to go back a couple of years later. So mm. she lived in there, and then uh, about another eight years, six years later, my sister 
uh, uh, moved back just below me. So I did have other direct family in there as well. Right. So my dad worked very hard to ensure that there was some relationship and connection between, and the community definitely resisted, um, but my dad kept persisting and making an effort. So over the sort of the years since, um, even right up until a couple of years ago, I took my wife and my children back to meet my mum and sister. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, 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 were, they were welcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there has been some some interaction over the years, but but very sporadic. Mm. Uh, and it's been very hard to build a relationship um, mm. over that time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I guess, it, like you're saying, in those first few years when it's formative, mm. that's mm. all that you knew, right? Yeah. So uh, how did it work in terms of schooling and things? Yeah. It was all in the one it was, place? It was, it was all in the one place. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, everything was communal. Mm. Uh, everything was about the collective whole um and 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 so this this concept of you know the betterment of yourself at the expense of others just was really foreign to me um because actually um you know that saying that um you know all ships rise on a rising tide um is something i i still very much believe in i think Mm. uh we if we're leaving people behind in our community actually all of us are no better off. Mm. Uh, and the way that we advance as a society and as a community, yes, we have our individual freedoms and liberties and they are fundamentally important, but we've all collectively got to work together mm. uh, to ensure the betterment of the whole because I think we can't we can't claim success in a society or community if there are others left behind. Mm. And so that was a concept, I think, early on that was just really became part of my DNA. Mm. And even though I left the community, even though a lot about how the community was run, as I said, those those absence of certain individual freedoms and liberties was wrong. I think this this concept of actually we've got to all look after each other mm. uh, really has stuck with me and has informed a lot of what I've done since. Mm. Oh, that's interesting because as we, as we talk through your life, mm. it's always interesting to reflect back and see what's shaped you yeah you know what i mean yeah, like absolutely. 20 years ago this thing <laughs> happened or the way that uh, yeah. the way of thinking yeah um and yeah. then what is it doing today so yeah um so just talk us through then like moving to the states from here at yeah. age eight yeah what was that like for you because eights you're old enough to kind of sort yeah. of know what's going on yeah. but young enough where you're not really sure. Yeah, I don't know. What yeah. was it like? Well, it was, I mean, again, I, I think coming out of the community, I remember, you know, seeing things like aeroplanes and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> dealing with money. I mean, it was just this this concept, everything to do anything required this thing called money. Whereas, you know, I'd grown up in the community and the food was there on the table. You know, you had a house and, you know, you always had clothes. You know, th- there was nothing that needed money. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... That was that was that was a strange concept to get my head around and fascinated me a lot of what could be achieved then with this thing of money, mm. um, but I think going to the states and certainly living with the Bruderhof, I think was a really good transition. I think if we had have just gone straight into sort of society mm. and uh, from coming in this very very closed sheltered environment, yeah, um, it it would have it would have been really challenging. I think mm. especially for for us young kids. Mm. Um, so that that transition with the Bruderhof, you know, they were faith based. Um, you know, they had deep Christian faith, but they were communal. Uh, and so I think that important being again in a in a strong, close community of people. Right. The individual freedom and liberties then uh, was something new that I got to grasp with. And I think that's probably the, the Bruderhof in America was where I think I started actually beginning to form my own faith because now there were things around how I I you know. I could question, I could ask questions about 
my faith or why do you believe this mm. you know or why did this happen in the bible and and so i was able to to really challenge and question those things mm-hmm. uh, and able to have dialogue with people who were completely okay and open with with being challenged and questioned on them mm-hmm. you know and actually sometimes they just said look i don't know there is just an element of faith here mm-hmm. that you're going to have to trust and make your own choice and decision on so it really started the formation i think what became you know my my my, my deep rooted faith um mm-hmm. later on in life mm. so it sounds like the the identity forming yeah it, it's amazing actually isn't it because it, sometimes it is getting out of what you've known that forces you to question who you yeah. are you know like yeah. for me uh, just really yeah. briefly when i was 20 i moved to japan mm. and it was moving to japan that made me question you know the big things yeah. who am i yeah, what do yeah, i believe yeah. why do yeah. i do this yeah. and it but if i'd stayed here in new zealand if i'd stayed in christchurch yeah. i probably would never have yeah. kind of you yeah. know yeah. thought about those yeah. things so. well it's all those things that that confront confront your your previously held beliefs or perceptions mm. suddenly he was a whole different view a different perspective on things a different way of looking at the same thing but mm. with completely different um set of eyes and uh yeah and so that just that, that allows you to awaken to actually a new way of thinking mm. and then that's how it helps you form some of your own thinking and beliefs which ultimately you know starts to form your identity yeah yeah oh that's really cool so you get to early teenage yep. years it sounds like yep. and then what happened next so you then came australia back so australia. then um, my, my dad so my mother moved back to the community from the Bruderhof in, in New Zealand. So it was my dad now, single dad, um, with, um, at that stage, there were seven kids. Um, so my youngest brother had been born in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so he moved back to Australia, largely because um, that's where some of his early family before the formation of the community in New Zealand was. Mm-hmm. So he knew some people back there. So we moved to a place called Coffs Harbour uh, on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, I started high school uh, there. That was, again, another transition because now we were going away from a community uh, that we'd lived in. You know, you ate together, you shared your meals together, all of that, to now basically, um, like most of us now live, you mm. know, we had our own house. You know, we did our own stuff with our family. We were part of a, a local church community, again, which was helpful, and they definitely supported us. I think the first couple of weeks we actually um, lived uh, in the in the sort of the back room of the church because we didn't have anywhere to live, um, but yeah, that that was another transition moment in my life. Just now, sort of fully engaged in society, went to a public school, uh, and you know, a lot of questions from uh, you know kids my age about your background and your past, um, and I think I, I really struggled uh, to answer those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you explain to another thirteen-year-old what a what a cult is and what a community is? And mm. you know, like that was that was really really challenging for me. And mm. I, I initially just adopted this. Well, um, I just preferred not to tell you anything. Right. So um, I had a very very closed uh, sort of family existence. You know, if if someone asked to come over and have a play date. Uh, I would suggest, well, let's let's go to the mall and meet, or you know, there was just I just I didn't I didn't know how to to share this um, mm. and unpack this mm. with thirteen year olds, you know. So um, yeah, so that that was really it's challenging. Not your typical conversation. Is no, it? it's not. No, it's not. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and just I'm just curious. We'll we'll move on. I think yeah. into yeah. your high school years, yeah. but just to understand, I guess the the mentality or of a cult. Yeah, and um, what is it that people would leave but then come back yeah. what's going on yeah. in people's minds where uh, i'm guessing it's about um security and safety and, yeah. and sort of predictability yeah but what what's your take on that yeah look um 
that, that that's a that's a whole podcast on its I, own. I'm sure it is. I believe it. <laughs> um, but fundamentally, in short, it comes down to um, really simply uh, manipulation and control. You know, and those same sets of behaviours that uh, would keep um, you know. Uh, a, a, um, a wife or a partner in a domestic abuse or domestic violence situation. You know, I mean, the, the Women's Refuge and that see it all the time, that those women who are abused uh, and, and go back to that same place. And it is all those things around, you know, security and safety and, and that. But, but also fundamentally, you know, these are people that I loved. They were my family. Mm. Um, and, and there is always that bond there that draws you back and wants you to go back. Mm. And then when you add in elements of faith, you know, and, and religion, and when that's used to control um, and then people's freedoms are slowly mm. ebbed away and chipped away mm. and eroded. Yeah. You know, this thing didn't just, this community didn't just grow up overnight. This was a period of, of 20 years that this thing grew. And those freedoms are slowly through through someone who's very charismatic and, and you know, manipulative and controlling. Um, it, it, it just does. And, and it, people get a control. And so then you've got elements of faith mixed up with family bonds mixed up with, and, you know, mm. someone who's, who's wanting to use that control for, for, for evil has a huge amount of power and ability to do so. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. This would easily be three or four <laughs> podcasts, wouldn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's okay. We'll do another yeah. one yeah, someday. Sure. Yeah, How's yeah, that? Yeah. Um, so just talk us through, I guess, your teenage years yeah. and, you know, what were your thoughts about the future and yeah. having come from this past, yeah, yeah. What, what was starting to shape you into yeah. who you've yeah. become? Um, so I think my teenage years, uh, if I were to characterize them, it was um, because I was so unhappy with and, and struggled to explain my past mm. and where I'd got up to. Mm-hmm. Um, the world of particularly movies became really compelling to me. I remember as a teenager, I would go and, you know, again, remembering that my first movie I saw was, was when I was eight. So I had nearly a right. decade worth of movies to catch up <laughs> yeah. on. There was no Star Wars. <laughs> no, exactly. I, I remember. I mean, I, I literally, the first movie I ever saw, I remember now, was um, the the Aladdin one with Robin oh, Williams yeah, as the right. genie. And that was the first movie I ever saw. I remember going, wow. Yeah. So my, my teenage years then kind of had progressed in my movie taste. But it was about movies. I was captivated by movies. Here was this make-believe world where you could create. Mm-hmm. And so I remember going through high school thinking, I'm going to make movies. Because... That was a way I could create worlds. Mm. I could create these make-believe worlds. They were all perfect. Mm. That didn't have any of the baggage that I had. They had all the future that I wanted, uh, and I could control it. Mm. And I could, I could, you know, have some sense of power in this, in creating this environment, this world. So, mm. as I progressed through uh, high school, that was that was going to be the thing I was going to do. It was going right. to be make movies. So, were you making movies yourself? Uh, did you have a camera? Yeah. Uh, well, the, you know, this was um, you know late nineties, so there weren't a lot of technology like we have now but yeah. um i did I, I tried a number of that um i tried writing storyboards i particularly like words uh-huh. um i felt I, I liked playing with words i like writing stories so I, I spent a lot of time storyboarding various movies and writing stories of what it would look like and mm-hmm. scripts and all of those sorts of things mm-hmm. um i then um graduated high school and um ended up getting far better marks than i think I expected and certainly <laughs> my dad expected yeah uh and had a conversation and pretty much went look these marks are too good to go to the movie industry, <laughs> to go to university. Um, and I, I had also found an affinity with, with numbers, and particularly as it related to 
as I said, that concept of money. Money really fascinated me because, um, again, I kept coming back to this. Here was a way you could actually achieve so much if if you use this well. Mm. Um, At the same time, it could be really destructive Mm. if it wasn't used well. So I started university and I did um, an accounting degree. I went to the University of Queensland and decided, right, okay, yeah, Marks are too good to make movies. I'll go to university. Mm. And I'll do accounting. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I am a bit more of a, a creative bent, uh, and so accounting just ended up becoming very dry. Right. Um, I was good at it. I was good at numbers, um, and it did fascinate me in terms of how how money worked within businesses. Mm. But I decided that I needed something a little bit more, I guess, um, around the creative side, and so I went into economics. And uh, I'm sure there was all sorts of economic uh, economists out there cringing when I say economics is back creativity but um you know what what fascinated me about economics was uh this was about human behavior in a a sort of wider economic monetary system and i found that really fascinating Mm. particularly um macroeconomics you know in terms of how societies um you know uh, organisms organizations behave um in a sort of a capitalist environment and and when money's at play and financial institutions at play so yeah, so I really, I really enjoyed economics, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, found that quite fascinating. And combined with the counting, which was the, the the sort of micro and how businesses operate and structure and account for their money, with the economics, um, I, I left uni with a fairly good, comprehensive understanding of of financial monetary systems, mm-hmm. which then started the thinking process on actually how much of this just was fundamentally wrong as well. You know, um, in terms of I had had this interesting past, understanding the power of the collective, and here was a system that was telling me it's about the power of the individual. Um, And I knew, I knew, I had enough, uh, I guess, wisdom, uh, largely because a lot of conversations with my grandmother, um, who had also left the community, but had a a great faith and, and a lot of wisdom, that the truth did lie somewhere in between. There was an important part of of the individual uh, sovereignty and individual rights and what the individual could do, mm. but actually there was great power in the unity of the collective and people working together. Mm. And so I knew that you know economic systems, the real power uh, in 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 being able to um, help people uh, flourish and succeed, sort of lied somewhere in between mm. those two. It makes sense. The thing that strikes me about what you're saying as well is presumably you were studying a bit about the history of economics yeah. as well and like yeah. the trends because, you know, we're fish in the water. We're yeah. the goldfish in the bowl. <laughs> and we think that the way things are today in terms of capitalism and yeah. the way that wealth works and yeah. money is the way. <laughs> yeah. But actually, if you look back in history, yeah. there's been different models. There's been different yeah. ways of doing yeah. things. And, yeah. and I think sometimes we forget, we do. you know, yeah. that maybe there are alternatives. Yeah. And before we started recording, we were talking about sort of the future of business. Yeah. What will it look like in 50 yeah. years time? Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd love mm. to go there in a second. Yeah. But you mentioned your grandmother. Um, so she hadn't come up in conversation before. I'm just really curious. Mm. I always like to hear about people's memories of mm. grandparents. Mm. And what was it that was special about her? Um, because I, I think it unlocks something that generational wisdom. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what did you appreciate about yeah, her? Yeah. Um, well, so she, she's she's still alive and she's now living here in Christchurch. Mm. Um, but she she um, 
Yeah, so she she grew up obviously outside the community and, and they found their faith, uh, her and my granddad. Um, so this is on my mum's side, so not not the one who started the community. Mm. Um, it's my mum's mum and dad. Um, so they, they, they sort of found the faith outside of the community and they saw the power of what something, the concept or the ideal of the community, which was about people working collectively together, united in a common purpose mm. and what that what that could actually achieve, the power of what that could uh, do. Right. So, shoot. So they 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 came into it with that as their core reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, I think they they recognised that actually, in the end of the day, the the sovereignty of the individual, you know, the freedoms of the individual, um, is is really important. That 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 should never be eroded. Mm. And they saw that getting eroded. Um, so that that's why that's why why they left. Um, mm. My my granddad then um, he died um, a couple of years after leaving the community, uh, but my grandma um, is still alive, and and so she's she's again really helped me, um, I guess, uh, embrace the good and the bad. You know this this dichotomy of collective working together, community based things are really powerful and really good, but also individual freedoms individual liberties is also really important mm. and and you've got to maintain that tension between the both you know and interesting something she's taught me that's always stuck with me is we often we often see unity you know when we talk about unity in a sports team or in a community or in a nation or any sort of where there's a group of people we often think of unity as uniformity um, you know if everyone's the same that creates unity but see the problem with um, yeah, unity. It's not sameness. Mm-hmm. You know, uniformity is sameness. Um, and so um, she taught me that actually the strength of unity came from diversity. Right. That the differences actually is what gives something unity. You know, you think of a piece of rope. It's the individual strands in a rope, mm-hmm. all the individuals, but they're all pulling together in the same direction is what gives rope its strength. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in, in any sort of community or any organization where there's multiple people. Unity actually is given its strength from the diversity of the people united in a common purpose. Right. Um, and, that, and so that was really uh, important and powerful uh, sort of formation for me right mm-hmm. through my life and right up until now and actually recognizing uh, how you achieve unity and to be able to embrace difference, to be able to embrace diversity and people's backgrounds and the pe- way people do things and people's viewpoints, to be able to respect them, to understand them. And as you try and understand them and as you try and bring them together to achieve the same purpose or same mission, that's where real strength comes. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. I love the pictures of um, weaving together, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. And I think as well, you know, just listening to you and reflecting as you're talking, the idea of a life and the different strands mm. of a life, and then how do you weave them together to make a powerful yeah. thing that yeah. is is strong? You know, like yeah. look at your your past yeah. and your history, and yeah. community is really important. But then money is also important. Yeah wait a minute, how do we weave those two together? together? And mm. then I'm sure there's other elements. Mm. So mm. so let's go there. Um, mm. In terms of, I guess, once you've finished studying, yeah. what happened next? What, what yeah, so um, the next sort of, uh, I guess you could say, um, 10 years uh, was it was a journey of, I guess, then trying to find my identity. Mm-hmm. So there were some things I knew, 
uh, about myself and what I believed in, and they were they were formative. Um, they were only a sort of the early stages of, of of defining who I were. But the next ten years was really this process of of, of firming them up and firming mm-hmm. my own identity mm-hmm. uh, in the world in terms of what I believed. Um, so you know, I I left university. Um, I did. Um, uh, about four, five years at PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, so within audit and corporate finance. Uh, and again, that taught me a lot about how large corporate systems work. Um, I worked with uh, a number of different organisations, um, obviously got to see their systems and processes while I was at PwC. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ended up getting my, my dream of working in the film industry while I was there. So um, right at that stage, I was at PwC in Wellington and Lord of the Rings was getting made. Right. Um, and so PricewaterhouseCoopers was advising, um, you know, the government on things like the large budget screen production grant and New Zealand Air and working with the Film Commission on things. And so I got to uh, I got to work in the film industry after all. Wow. Uh, for a while there um, and we worked with a couple of um, clients as well um, who were involved in the sort of the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. um, uh, Weta and, and uh, Weta Digital and those um, yeah. and out of that met um, some friends who had a software startup um, which had come out of um, out of Weta um, which created uh, animated crowd scenes called Massive Software uh, and they said look we're going to you know um kind of bootstrap this thing and take it to the world and are you interested mm. um and uh we had just had our our first born uh, me and my wife um had just been born and uh i was looking for what i thought was going to be a different pace of life um at that stage my ignorance of what a startup right. required startups are easy <laughs> yeah, that's right no, that's what i thought yeah. i thought anything's going to be better than the sort of <laughs> 60 70 hours i'm doing a week here at pwc sure. this is going to give me freedom this is going to yeah. give me i'll be able to just waltz on home Creativity. when i wanted to yeah exactly <laughs> Um, yeah, it ended up being anything but that. And yeah. in fact, I spent the first couple of months a lot of time on the planes overseas because right. all of our clients were overseas. Yeah. Um, overseas so what year are we things. talking about? Because the Lord of the Rings was sort of 2000, 2001, 2002. Yes, a bit after that. So this, yeah. is, this is around 2005 to 2008. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had just... Um, we had just started or tried to sell their massive software in 2008 and as you recall um, I still remember because I was in the airport leaving the US uh, in 2008 in September yeah. when it came over the news that Lehman Brothers uh, yeah. had crashed. A little global financial crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. immediately we you know all those potential in- interested acquirers and buyers just disappeared overnight uh, now and yeah. so um so yeah, so it ended up being the the two main co-founders of Massive Software ended up buying each other out, and so um, I moved on to the next thing then. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did a couple of years at um, Rex Bionics as their CFO. So they made um, uh, robotic um, exoskeleton devices for people in wheelchairs that would right. basically enable them to stand. Hmm. Um, and so uh, I was their CFO for a couple of years, um, and then I uh, did another uh, small startup with a friend of mine called Dartlock, which was online backup, um, and. This was this was. Um, I'd like to think we were we were before Dropbox. Um, <laughs> maybe they were around the same time, but um, you know this idea where you could actually now. Previously, companies used to back up to these tape drives discs mm. that had to be physically done. Yeah. This was something where companies could back up their data online um, and it could be automated and they didn't have to do anything about it. Um, and so anyway, uh, we did that and we uh, ultimately sold it to MaxNet. Um, and probably sold a little bit too soon, and maybe if we 
hung out for a couple of years. Dropbox or whatever, quite a bit. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you, you learn these things. Uh, and then... Um, so there's lots of IT sort of yeah, things that you're Yeah, I, I, loved, I, loved, um, I loved technology. Yeah. I saw um, the power of what technology could, um, could do to uh, make things more efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, with my economic view around marginal cost of doing things and opportunity cost and all that, it, um, technology seemed to me to be a really good way of, of getting much more efficiency mm. um, out of things. So, um, yeah, so I, I was really attracted to technology mm. um, and I saw a lot of potential in it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I did that for quite a few years. Um, uh, and then um, the Christchurch earthquakes happened. Um, and me and my wife, uh, Jessica, were living in Auckland and we had two kids at that stage. So our second child had come along. And, uh, yeah, I, I still remember vividly the September one and we thought, oh, that was that was – that was dangerous, but hey, no one was hurt, and everyone's houses are okay. And uh, and then the February one happened, and um, because both sets of our, our parents and our families were living in Christchurch, we we came back pretty regularly and started helping with um, you know as everyone was doing back then, you know, mm. shoveling silt and trying mm. to put everything back together. And mm. but um, you hadn't actually lived in Christchurch, had you? I mean, you'd been in Custon. Yeah, yeah, no, so. never actually lived in the city. Yeah, no, yeah. so Cust was kind of as close as been to Christchurch. Yeah. But but our family, but your families were the here. Family so networks were, yeah. were down here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my yeah. brothers and sisters had all kind of moved back to New right. Zealand by this stage, and they had, you know, most a lot of them had got married and were yeah. starting to have family. So we'd always always talked about eventually coming back to Christchurch, mm. um, and. And um, so my dad is a builder by trade. Um, and so um, he had this great idea um, after the earthquakes. Um, he said, I know what, let's, let's, let's start a construction company. This is going to be a great opportunity um, to actually physically do something. My, my dad's a, a doer. Um, he can't just, you know, he was, <laughs> when, the, when the February uh, 22nd earthquakes happened, um, everyone was running away from the city centre. My dad was running to it so um he's he's the sort of personality he's gotta he's gotta get in involved and get do something so he had this great idea oh let's start a construction company mm. um we were happily uh living in auckland we just bought our first home in auckland and uh the last thing i wanted to do was go from something like tech which had very very high gross margins to <laughs> construction which i knew for a fact had very low to no gross margins right. and was very risky and had this horrible economic cycle of booms and busts right you know like i just and so i resist well, at least you knew what you were getting into. Yeah, that's right i resisted for a while but me and my wife felt a real uh we, we spent a lot of time praying about it and we felt a real compelling to actually come back to the city and do something about right. it uh and on our heart was actually you know what this isn't about an economic opportunity mm. this is actually about to do something good for our city and we wanted our kids to grow up in Christchurch that was always going to be the intention right it was always out we thought of it as our hometown mm. it was our home these were our family and friends and here was a practical tangible way that we could come back to our city and make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we we jumped in, and you know the first. Uh, so we we established Build Tech, and again, um, the tech part of it was trying to me trying to um, draw on this idea that look, technology was would solve all the problems that the construction industry suffered from. You right. know, inefficiency. You know, poor quality. You know, just it, it would it would be the the silver bullet to the construction industry. Mm-hmm. Um, it it, it Pretty quickly, I realized that actually there's a lot, 
a lot of bigger issues uh, in the construction industry than just you know throwing a whole bunch of tech at it. And in fact, uh, the tech bit was gonna you know you were gonna have to pull it kicking and screaming out of effectively the dark ages, and that wasn't going to happen overnight. Right. Um, so yeah, so the first couple of years um, was was yeah pretty pretty challenging. I mean, Christchurch post post earthquakes mm. was. Um, was a real challenging environment you know um and we we grew pretty quickly uh, we grew too quickly uh, in hindsight now um the, the the greatest challenge was always there was always a need there was always someone else who needed their house repair there was always someone else who was crying out for a builder right and and so in our in our attempt and desire to want to respond to that need we just thought oh well, we'll just, we can do that we can do that we can help we can help we can help and so driven by this desire to actually make an impact and make a difference uh we definitely in the first couple of years uh grew too big so year three we had some real challenges with growth i think mm. we had grown to about 180 staff at mm. that stage uh and as you can imagine um one staff member brings uh, challenges, but 180. <laughs> yeah, and to go from you and your dad to yeah. 180, that's a lot of yeah. Um, yeah. that's a lot of a change lot of in, yeah. in a very short time. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so it was it was challenging, and for the for the probably the next the the next so the first first kind of two, and then year three um, we kind of reached our peak, and then year three and four and five um, was really about just trying to bed in. Um, a lot of the the process and system changes mm-hmm. uh, that we needed to do, you know, like I've, I've since learned, it's been in the construction industry now for nine years, that the foundation is the most important part of the building. Right. If you get the foundation right, um, you can go high, fast, and quick, uh, and and your quality and everything. And so everything's dependent on the foundation. Mm. If you don't get that right, it's hard to get anything else right. Mm. Uh, and and similarly with it with a business, the foundation elements of it uh, is the key to get right. Mm. Um, and in year five, we realised that actually the foundation elements of our of our organisation needed to be our mission and purpose. And while we always had a clear sense, or, or some not a clear, a some sense of what that was to help people, to help the city, to help a need, we knew that it, we needed to be much clearer about what that was. Mm. Um, and then the next two years was kind of this journey of of trying to discover in both myself and Jessica um, what. You know what were we about? What did we want to accomplish mm. uh, in this? Um, if we look forward post the recovery of Christchurch, what did we want to achieve and what did we want to do mm. uh, with this organisation? Mm. So, what did you sort of come up with at that point? And then I'm really keen to understand as well because I know you've rebranded and you've yeah. got a new name. Yeah. Maybe just talk about the the you know the transition yeah. into that and yeah. what that means for you. Yeah, yeah. So I think. Um, when again coming back to this this concept of of identity i think it started with um so um my, my dad sort of uh went into a to an early retirement i think um you know he he had he had had a, probably enough of the construction industry and enough of the rebuild so mm. um so we we um we bought him out and uh um so then it was me and my wife and so i guess for us we spent a lot of time trying to um i guess you know decide as a couple and as individually, what did we want our life purpose to be? Mm. You know, who were we and what did we want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a big part of that that process of, of really help us form and define what we wanted out of mm. BuildTech and now mm. home. Um, and one of the biggest things for us was fundamentally what we cared about was relationships. 
uh, was family relationships, community relationships, and and people. You know, um, I'd obviously come from a community. I'd come from mm. a big family. Uh, Jessica had a very uh, you know close family as well and a close community as she grew up. And so for us, that community uh, was really really important. Mm. So not just the immediacy of family, but actually that wider community. Mm. So we, we we felt that you know at the core of what was important to us was this concept still of community. Uh, again, which, which is no surprising really when you consider where I had come from. Mm. Um, uh, so, so people, community, and relationships was quite critical for us. Um, the second thing is we we wanted to make sure no one. It's interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, but just it, it, there is no. Um, it, this isn't really surprising given what you've already said. But you're not talking about profits and how much money no, you can no. make, and you know, people, community, relationships. <laughs> That's not the typical. No. Um, no. Purpose, I yeah. guess, for yeah. a company. Yeah. If we're talking in a normal. Yeah capitalist yeah. society exactly what's our business plan yeah where's the bottom line yeah <laughs> yeah well look i mean I, we would have i think ne- it's just worth highlighting that. no no yeah. and we would have never as yeah. i said my my accounting economics mm. background and brain said construction warning signs there is there <laughs> there is no economics or profit <laughs> you know the rationale for doing that is just you know why would you do that right yeah. this whole system this whole industry is broken from the economic financial point of view so don't don't touch it. Mm. Um, so so that was never. I mean, there was an element of it. We wanted to try and make it sustainable, and that was important. Mm-hmm. But but that just yeah, from the start, that was never a, a driver. Mm. You know, at all. Yeah, no, that's good. And you mentioned there, sort of working out your own identity alongside working mm. out the company's identity. Mm. Um, something that's you've kind of hinted at and mm. mentioned a couple times is the idea of your face journey. Yeah, I'm just wondering if you could explain sort of what does that mean to you. Yeah. Because um, I think that's helpful to understand yeah, the context yeah, of a person. Yeah, well, I think I think it was for me recognizing that um, with with a with a with a peculiar past like I have, mm. um, that who I was and who my val- what my value and worth uh, was wasn't dependent on where I came from, what my life experiences had been, and what I achieved or did. And, you know, this wasn't something I just kind of woke up with one day. This was over that first period of my life, um, certainly when I left the community, going through my early parts of my career, university. Mm -hmm. You know, there was this always this desire to achieve, to get success, to to get wealth, money, status, importance, Mm -hmm. because that's where I'd find my place in society and in a community. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, avoiding, ignoring my past because it was shameful or as different or as strange. Mm. Um, And I think for that whole period, I, you know, finding my faith again, my own personal faith uh, in Christ, and and it wasn't something that now I was forced to have, but it's something I arrived at freely and I chose freely. Mm -hmm. And so having that faith that my worth and my value uh, was was given to me by a creator, and that was inherent, and no one could take away from that, meant that I was able to now embrace my past because it happened, mm-hmm. and it made me who I was, and there was good bits in it, and it shaped and formed a lot of my thinking, which, while peculiar, actually I started to realize as I was going, in some ways was quite helpful. I was able to ask the dumb questions or the ignorant or naive questions, uh, and sometimes that led to better outcomes and results. Mm. Um, but it also made me recognize that you know, my failures and successes in what I did or achieved actually didn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. What mattered better was the relationships around me. And and my identity was really formed about by 
you know, how much I sowed in and how much I served and how much impact I made mm. on those around me in a positive way. Mm. And that was a v- much better way to get my value, my worth, mm. um, than what I physically achieved or how much money I had or what my, my latest job title was or what was I was achieving in my career. I had, a, you know, you know, raised a million bucks or had we listed a billion dollar company or all those things that initially I thought I wanted. Mm. Which is which is so helpful for the people listening, I think, because too often in our culture, it is all about, here's my business card, yeah. look at my fancy title. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. it is very much about uh, what you've achieved yeah. and, and where yeah. do you live. And yeah. um, Well, even, even from, a, even from a, a business point of view, you know, our first first five years of Build Tech mm. uh, in our home uh, wasn't, th- there was nothing on paper that you could say we were a success. Financially, we weren't doing well. You know, reputationally, we weren't doing well. Operationally, we weren't, like there was nothing to boast about and to go, wow, you guys are doing great. Mm. You know, you're, so, so we, we had nothing externally on those sorts of traditional measures to sort of pin a hat on and mm. go, hey, look, look at us, you know. Just, so so we're, <laughs> for all intents and purposes, we were a complete and utter failure on paper. Um, but that allowed us to then go, okay, well, we're not succeeding in all these other things. What are the things that we can succeed and we can do? Mm-hmm. And that's where we started turning our attention to our staff, our people. Mm-hmm. You know, we recognized that actually the people we employed, we could we could actually serve them really well. We could make an impact on their lives. You know, I, I, I recognized one day um, when I was sort of signing off one of our, our fortnightly payroll to 160 staff uh, at that stage, I realized... This is 160 mortgages mm. that I'm going to pay this week. This is 160 families who are going to pay their school fees. This is 160 families who, you know, can go out to the movies. This is 160. You know, and it just suddenly dawned on me, actually, employing people is profoundly good. Like there is a profound goodness in doing that. Mm. Uh, and regardless of, you know, yeah, I want to be sustainable um, because if I'm sustainable... I can keep employing these people. Mm -hmm. And that really was a real shift for me in my thinking. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, business became about sustainability because it allowed you to keep doing the good that you were doing Mm -hmm. as opposed to just profit, generating profits that could go to other Mm -hmm. purposes or other Mm -hmm. things. And so that was a real shift, I think, for me and my wife in, I guess, unlocking a lot more of our purpose and mission. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Profit is still important. I think it, it, it it's a good measure of uh, efficiency. I think um, economically it brings a whole lot of principles and good behaviours and practices. And I think it also, as in our case, it allows you to empower other things beyond just what you physically do mm. as well. Mm. That's great. Yeah, it, it's just echoing what you're saying. Um, I'm just reminded of something that I've always looked at and it's kind of a quote but it's basically do not think of yourself more highly than you ought yeah you know this concept yeah. that we tend to start to build our own egos and you know mm. add the fire into i did this yeah. i did that yeah. you know and, yeah. it, and it actually at the end of the day we really are here for a very short time very yeah. very, <laughs> very short a very short time <laughs> and and how do we use the time that we've been given yeah in a positive way yeah. to contribute to the people around us or whatever our circumstance yeah. is. You yeah. know what I mean? And, yeah. and and the word that then resonates with me for that is the idea of stewardship. Mm. You know, the kaitiakitanga, mm. yeah. the guardianship, yeah. that 
I don't own this piece of land. That's yeah. sure the the certificate of title says has my name on it. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not the no. owner. I'll be gone yeah. in fifty years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah. it's a it's a longer term vision, yeah. I guess. That that what you're talking yeah. about. Well, for Jessica and I, that 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 I mean, that sums up. Um, exactly how we see our role and position at home. Right. You know, we actually don't see ourselves as owners. You know, if people introduce us as owners, I'm like, no, 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 we're not owners. Mm. You know, um, we are just here. And to use that word you said, we're here to steward this organization. Yep. Now, we operate on it. We've got a 100-year business plan. Right. And we've done that intentionally because we are stewarding this mm. for those who are going to carry it on for because we're not going to be here for the full hundred years mm. um so we are here to steward that to build the foundation for those who are going to come after us and carry on the mission and purpose of this organization mm. um and so it helps us make a lot of decisions in that context mm. it helps us make decisions today that we may never see the payoff for or we may never see the return on that investment or that time spent mm. um and it makes those decisions a lot easier to mm. do and to execute on them when mm. you're not expecting a five year 10 year 20 year 30 year 50 year uh sort of return on you know yeah, yeah. and i guess um thinking about economic models and normal yeah. business it's very much focused on the next quarterly report yeah. you know like <laughs> how did we do in the That's last right. three months yeah. how are we going to do yeah. in yeah. the next three yeah. months yeah. but if you start throwing in a hundred year business yeah. plan or yeah. you know yeah um i interviewed someone who um peter wells who's doing the otakro orchard yeah involved yeah. in there and Basically, he was describing how what they're trying to plant and build is for the next next generation. Yeah. That this the trees yeah. that are, they're planting today, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not they're yeah. never going to see the fruit yeah. because it's going to yeah. take decades to see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's that sort of principle, isn't it? Is. It? It, it, it absolutely is. And this is, I think, where there is so much. Uh, so much potential in the capitalist model, but this is where I think it falls down mm. when it's about this um, sort of self selfish sort of short-term me, mm. um, you know, if we, are, if we are willing to play the long game and if we are willing to make the investments for the long-term mm. uh, return, I think capitalism has a lot to offer. Mm. Um, but it can't just be about ourselves and what we're going to gain in the shortest period of time. Mm. So what would be, just thinking of people who are listening, because we've got wide yeah. types of listeners, yeah. what would be your encouragement to them in terms of the first steps they could take in their own journey some mm. of them you know they won't own businesses or anything mm, but just no. from a personal yeah. perspective what were some tips that you might yeah. be able to give them to start thinking in this way yeah um i think again i think that, that identity piece is really important mm -hmm. you know who you are uh you know why you are here why you are alive needs to be something deeper and more than just what you do or what you achieve. Mm -hmm. you know, there's got to be something much more sort of intrinsic about it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and arriving clearly at this is who I am and this is my purpose that is outside some external measure of performance or success or even what society says. Um, that has to be the real starting place. Because mm -hmm. I don't, again, that, that going back to the analogy of the building, that is your foundation. That's your cornerstone. That's the thing you're building everything else from and everything else is going to be measured against that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from that, the the mission and the purpose of the organisation can start to be formed. Now, you know, for me and my wife, that was a, that was a that was an evolving process. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't necessarily. I'm not advocating that you gotta you don't start until you know 100% what your mission and purpose was about. Mm -hmm. um, I, I you know I don't know if that's always the case uh, or can be achieved. But I think you've got to have some clear sense based on of your identity mm -hmm. about what 
what you want to achieve, what, what's the purpose, what's the general purpose mm. or a direction that you want to go on. Mm. And, then, and then from there, um, the other thing is a clearly defined set of values. Um, so for us as an organization, our values become uh, our uh, decision-making criteria. Mm. They help sort of guide us towards our vision and mission. Um, they become what we decide uh, pretty much everything upon. Mm. Uh, and those values need to be clear and they need to be articulated. I think for all of us, if we just sit down and thought about, you know, what are the things, you know, the, the word value, what are the things we value in life? You know, is it loyalty? Is it integrity? Is it excellence? You know, is it teamwork? Is it hard work? You know, is it passion? Like all those things that, that sort of, again, they come out of your identity. They come out of the thing that defines who you are and your purpose and what you want to achieve. Mm. And having a clear sense of those values for, for us um, has, has been incredibly powerful. Mm. Uh, and it's been how we've been able to navigate a lot of difficult, challenging, hard decisions, mm. both personally and as an organization as well. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. It's so important, I think, because the problem with our society is that we're all busy and we move on to the next thing yeah. without taking the time to reflect. Yeah. And I think particularly yeah. when you think about an 18-year-old, say, finishing up at high school, like, yeah. what do you do next? You know, very, very seldom would people yeah. actually say, you know what, I'm just going to take a couple weeks to just be, <laughs> it's much more about, well, have you signed up for this course or have you, mm. you know, mm. have you got a job? And, and there's less of that introspection. Yep. Um, but that ultimately, the problem is that if you build on the wrong foundation, you get to 75 and you look back at your life yeah. and think, maybe I should have. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but I think, I think we've got to, we, we can't be afraid to, to, you know, like we've realized that sometimes, um, if, if the foundation's built wrong mm. and then a building's been built on top of it, the only way to rectify it is to knock the building down and start again. Mm. Um, and I think we've got to be, we, we can't be afraid to do that. So, you know, and by that I mean sometimes we've just got to knock down a few things we've built around mm. our life mm. to get back and start rebuilding on the foundation, mm. uh, you know, to re start rebuilding that identity thing. And it may mean some, some, some changes to our life in terms of what we do or how we do things. Mm. But I think we, we can't be afraid or fearful mm. of doing that at any stage in life you know yeah. it's not too late when you're 60 or 70 to actually look at what that foundation stone of your life is and go actually you know what i need to i need to get some work here i'm going to knock down some levels i'm going to get back to the foundation i'm going to because once you get that right you can actually go high fast mm. That's good. Yeah, well, my hope with the podcast is that people listening feel challenged by this yeah. type of conversation. So um, we'll see. We might get an email one day yeah, saying, maybe. you know. <laughs> um, so just talk us through just um, thinking about the word home. Mm. So you've chosen that as the, mm. the new name for the yeah. organization. I'd just love to understand why you chose that yeah. word. Because yeah. um, I know we, we've been helping you, you know, yeah. thinking yeah. from a legal perspective yeah. and getting things right. And I think one of my comments originally was it's, it's, you know, it's used mm. in many places. Mm. So mm. how are you going to make it distinctive for yeah. what you're doing? Yeah. So I'd just love to unpack yeah. that with yeah. you. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, it, it, for us, it came out of really coming to a, a clearer sense uh, in about kind of, you know, year six um, mm. of our existence around what our mission and purpose was. And, you know, we, we basically, um, I guess, realized that our vision is to see a world completely free of homelessness um, because we recognize that, you know, having for, for, for the six years either been fixing, repairing, restoring or building homes, um, 
that a home was really, really important to enable families, individuals, and ultimately communities to flourish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that became our vision. We we wanted to see a world where there was no one homeless, um, because uh, that would then give us, at least our societies and our families and communities, a good platform to then address all the other challenges and issues that we face with. Yeah. And that was something that um, we thought was achievable. Um, certainly, maybe not in our lifetime, but in 100 years, as I said, we've got a 100-year business plan, that was possible to mm-hmm. do. Um, and then our mission, at the outworking of that, was we were going to be building communities that flourished. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we recognised that, you know, while we built or repaired houses, um, a house without people mm. uh, and without relationships is just that. It's a house. You know, it's got walls, it's got a roof, it's got windows. But what makes a house a home is the people. It's the relationships. It's the families. It's the communities uh, that assemble around that house. And so for us, while we build houses and we develop houses, what was most important to us is that those houses became homes. And so it was that recognition mm. um, to actually go, you know what? We don't just build houses. We actually are about building homes through both how we engage with our staff, through the community organizations like Project Esther and Habitat for Humanity and Parenting Place um, to to build homes, mm. to build and support and empower the individuals, the families, the whanau, the communities that live in these houses. Mm. And that's really what we want to see happen. Um, and again, going back to the word, the word homelessness, um, the word home is there. It's not houselessness, and it's not called houselessness for a reason. Mm. It's about homelessness, about giving people a sense of place, identity, security, safety mm. uh, that comes from, yes, a physical structure, but also the relationships that exist within that structure. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. And I, what I love about this sort of conversation is that now we can start to weave together the threads, you know, yeah. and just think back to your origins yeah. <laughs> and the emphasis on community yeah. and yeah. and then think about studying business yeah. and economics yeah. Yeah. and how can we use this to do good. It's not just about yeah. the individual. Yeah. And then we talk about stewardship yeah. Yeah. and a 100-year business plan. Yeah. And it does, it, it kind of, you know, weaves together. My, my kids love friendship bracelets. Right. You know, yeah. like you yeah. get different colored strings and, and then it becomes something that's unified. And I feel like in our conversation, now we're kind of seeing it. Yeah. pull together yeah. into one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. i mean we you know the, the old name build tech you know tech it was important mm-hmm. and it is still important you know we're working on a number of very very exciting projects which involves you know modular and prefabrication systems and mm-hmm. we still fundamentally believe that technology has a big part to play mm-hmm. in addressing the challenges with construction and the industry and getting more efficiency and building homes more affordable so mm-hmm. that is all still very much in our dna as a part of our core but um in the end of the day you know all of that is useless if it's not achieving the purpose or outcome which we want to achieve which is building homes mm-hmm. and solving homes homelessness mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we'll have to have a part two at some point because <laughs> I, I, there's so many different ways we could yeah, have gone. Yeah, yeah. We focused on this. Um, it, all these things that you're talking about, they're all echoing with each other. You know, like it's a, it's that 
moving in the same direction. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, Israel, it's been great to have you on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. And just to hear a bit about your background and your story, I just feel like we were able to touch on a number mm. of different yeah. things which have yeah. led to what you're doing today, yeah. Yeah. which ultimately my hope is that the listeners will, will take some encouragement, maybe be yeah. challenged yeah. by yeah. You know, what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but just want to say thanks so much no. for coming on the show. It's, it's, been a, it's been a real pleasure. Happy to be here. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that chat with Israel. I know for me there were several things which stood out. Obviously, he has a really unique background, and you can see how it's shaped his focus onto community. And I also enjoyed hearing from him about his ideas around a 100-year business plan, you know, that idea of stewardship, and we really got into detail about that, which I'm happy about. If you enjoyed this episode, then consider leaving a rating or review, telling a friend about it, and maybe checking out the website at theseeds.nz. You can also subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. This is now the 112th one. Until next time. Mm-hmm.